as he comes. Okay, thank you very much, Terry. Now, last week, uh, I was away preaching in a nearby church in Admaston, and I had what was the most in, uh, humorous welcome to a church that I've ever received. You know that most churches have one or more sort of like larger-than-life characters? Well, uh, I think I bumped into the guy who was there. It's an absolutely lovely chap, but he came up to me, never seen me before. I've never seen him. He came up to me and he said, where are you from, buddy? I said, oh, I'm from Shrewsbury. My name's Dave. And I held my hand out. And he just like left me hanging there <laughs> with my hand out. And he goes do you support Shrewsbury, do you? I said, yeah, I do. He goes, oh, I support Wrexham. Sorry, I can't shake your hand. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, it's nothing personal. I just don't like you. <laughs> and he said, and, like, it's not very often that I'm speechless, but... Uh, this was one of those moments, and Ian was there and can verify most of this story. And, uh, <laughs> and then he just he looked at me and he goes, but what brings you over to Telford this morning then? And I said, well, actually, I'm preaching. And he went, oh, okay then, mate. <laughs> 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 and so uh, I did feel really warmly welcomed. Uh, in, uh, <laughs> in many ways. That has absolutely nothing to do with Colossians, but uh, I thought that was quite a humorous story as we go and preach in other places. We meet all sorts of fantastic people. So, uh, as Terry's mentioned, we're starting this journey in the book of Colossians, week by week, working through hearing God's voice to us individually and also as a church. But uh, to start off with, I don't want to go to Colossae immediately. I'd like you to come with me on a slightly different journey to Ephesus. And uh, this is the picture of the ancient ruins of Ephesus. And uh, now Ephesus is the kind of place that you go for a nice day trip if you're on holiday in Turkey. Has anyone here actually been there? to those ruins. Yeah, there's actually, there must be 30 or so hands just went up. So now it's a nice day trip, but at this time, it was a bustling major city in the Roman province of Asia, which is now mostly Turkey. And the Apostle Paul, he visits Ephesus and he starts preaching. And uh, there's some success and and, and local people start to follow Jesus and he hires out this uh, lecture hall, the Hall of Tyrannus. And for two years, there's public lectures preaching of the gospel and amazing sort of response. this, This revival really breaks out in Ephesus. Miracles are happening. People are putting their faith in Jesus. Incredible signs and wonders, even to the point where a handkerchief that's been touched by Paul gets taken to someone who is unwell and they become well. Now, in this day and age, people just start to think about the public health implications of sharing handkerchiefs. But, but in there, that was actually the thing that brought healing and wellness. There's all sorts of spiritual breakthrough. And then right there in the middle of the book of Acts, in Acts 19 verse 10, we read an absolutely amazing verse. It says, talking about what's happening in Ephesus, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, who lived in a huge area, 
heard the word of the Lord. So it wasn't just the city, it was the whole region. People came and people heard, and then people went back to their town or their village and took this new uh, understanding, this new experience, this new revelation of Jesus with them. And you can see on the map there, I'm sorry that all the little dots are quite small, But right in the middle, you've got Ephesus, and just next to it, you've got Colossae. And where all those little red dots are, you've got all these churches that have sprung up around Ephesus. When we come to the church in Colossae, we find that it's been founded by a guy called Epaphras. You'll hear that name several times over the next few weeks. And it's most likely that Epaphras has heard the good news in Ephesus... And then he's taken it back to his own town, Colossae. So suddenly there's this church in Colossae, even though Paul has never been there. He's never preached there. He doesn't even know these people. But someone's heard his teaching and taken it back. And it's taken root. And there's now a church there. What do we know of this sort of rather strange sounding place then, Colossae? Well, it had been a really major city on the banks of a river on a major trade route. But by the time that he's writing this letter, it's kind of like a a slightly bypassed market town. Does that remind you of anywhere that you are familiar with? What happened is that the Romans have built a major new road, and that's bypassed Colossae, and so it's lost a lot of its influence. It's, it's a bit like when the wool trade in Shrewsbury, uh, that came through Shrewsbury, diminished, and then the economic influence locally spread to the, the black country and the potteries, leaving Shrewsbury slightly on the edge of, of what's going on. That's what Colossae is like. And yet it's now very much back on the map in Paul's eyes because of the church that has been established there. And if you fast forward a few years, Paul, when he's writing this, is now in Rome and he's under house arrest. You can actually see Rome in the top left corner of that map. And it appears that Epaphras, this guy who's credited with establishing the church in Colossae, is also in Rome is also a prisoner with him. So during this period of his life, Paul writes several of the letters that we know in our New Testament, his letter to the Ephesians, the letter known as Philemon, and now this letter to the church in Colossae. And he's doing it with the reports that he's hearing from the founder of the church, Epaphras, who's with him in Rome. So we don't think that Paul's ever been there. He doesn't know them. There's no personal greetings of named people. There's no shared experience in that sense. But he's heard their story and he's heard the exciting bits of what God has done in and through them. But he's also heard some challenges they're having, some difficulties that they're having. And so he chooses to write them a letter. There is one major problem for us though. We don't actually know what those issues are. We don't actually know. We can surmise it. We can do our best to work it out and get pretty close. But reading the book of Colossians is a little bit, a little bit like getting someone's GCSE exam paper, their, uh, their answer paper, but we don't have the question paper. So what we have to do is read it through and then try to work out what sort of questions they were trying to answer. 
Have you ever had that experience where someone's really trying to make a point to you really firmly, but, uh, but you're not really sure why? You're not really sure why they're telling you this. You think, well, there must be something behind it. This is what it's like in this letter to us now, although the Colossians themselves would have known. I'm not going to go into great detail about what some of these issues are that we think, because we're going to be bringing them up week by week. But there's a very real sense that there's like a religious culture breaking out where uh, the sort of the ceremony that they're involved with Uh, a sense of sort of self-discipline and self-denial that goes a little bit over the top and a a slightly um, overreaching sort of uh, focus on angels and worshipping angels. That all all seems to be in there somewhere, as we'll come to. And there does also seem to be like almost a super-spirituality, the kind of feeling that some people are closer to God than others. Some people have some sort of a, a secret understanding, a, a sort of a special experience that sets them apart. And Paul is having absolutely none of that because Jesus' work is for everyone, not just for the special people. So Paul gives this huge uh, explanation as we go on week by week of who Jesus is, what he did, why he did it, what it means for us. Jesus has done everything that we need. He's paid the penalty for sin. Jesus is supreme over everything. And because of that, he goes on to explain there's bits of our old life that we need to sort out, we need to make right in order that we grow in faith. And the, the, one of the main points making uh, that Paul is making is that these other ways of thinking, these other teachings that have crept in are really hollow and really deceptive compared to how amazing and life-bringing and freedom-bringing the good news of Jesus is. Ultimately, wherever the church goes wonky, the answer to come back is the truth of Jesus. And this introduction we're going to read today is almost like a teaser for all the things that Paul's going to talk about. It's like a trailer to a film that just gives you a little snapshot and then you actually have to wait for the whole thing to come later. So this talk goes a little bit scattergun now because Paul goes into so many different directions as he offers them teasers of what is to come. Normally, you'd think the beginning of a letter would just be a few simple greetings and uh, some nice words. I mean, if I lived in Colossae, I don't know what I would be expecting. You know, hi, guys. Nice to hear about you. Hope your families are well. How's the new swimming baths the Romans built? That sort of thing. You know, that sort of small talk. But Paul goes flying into the deep end from the word go. And almost every single verse I'm about to read probably deserves a talk of its own. You will be pleased to hear that I plan to finish this talk within about 30 minutes in total, not in July. So I'm not going to do that. But let's crack on from verse 1, Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you 
from God our Father. Now, I love this intro. Uh, In one sense, there's not a lot of introduction. There's not a lot of self-justification. Just Paul, an apostle by the will of God. That's quite difficult to argue with. But then the Colossians are going to know who he is. They'll know exactly who he is because he's Paul who was just down the road in Ephesus. This is it for them. They've They've not met him. He's not preached with them. But they're now receiving a letter actually from him. Imagine that. Imagine the anticipation and the feeling in the church when they realized that this letter was actually coming to them from him. And he says, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And I wonder even if at this stage there is a hint that some people have not been able to stay faithful to the true gospel. From verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. So they're praying And actually, if if you look at this closely, he's choosing his words really carefully to make sure they're absolutely clear. Straight away, before we've even really started, we're introduced to exactly who Jesus is and to God the Father. And as he's praying, the, the prayer takes the form of thanks because they've heard about their faith and because they've heard about their love for God's people. And that's quite a commendation, isn't it? We've heard about your faith and your love for people. Oh, that people would say that about us, about our lives. And there's an actual bit of a provocation here as well. Are our words, our actions, and our attitudes the sorts of things that make other people burst with thanks to God? Do we fill other people with thanks to God? Because of our words, our attitudes, and our actions. Verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Their hope, their hope is in Jesus and in what they heard in the true gospel message. The true gospel message, again, there is a hint There is a hint that if there's a true message of the gospel, then there might be a slightly twisted message of the gospel, which is also out there. And he says that their hope is stored up for them in heaven. What a remarkable truth. Not reliant on the daily circumstances or their current feelings or their earthly religious acts or their special knowledge, but in heaven. Their hope being in heaven, our hope being in heaven, means that it's completely and totally secure. And later in the book, he, uh, he urges them to set their minds on the things above, to keep on going, looking at their hope stored up in heaven, not buffered from, buffeted from side to side because of what's going on in life at the time. I don't know about you, but if I look at the circumstances of the time, There's all manner of ways that I can end up feeling. I can feel sad. I can feel angry. I can feel confused. I can feel discouraged. And that's just from watching Shrewsbury. But uh, the truth is that if we look at what's stored up for us in heaven, then even in the darkest moments, faith and love can spring up. 
Faith and love can spring up. How how can that person have such peace in in such a difficult situation? How can that person forgive? How, How can that person continue? It's because faith and love springs up because this isn't it. Our hope is in heaven. The truth is that the here and now isn't all there is. This isn't it. Now, I'm quite enjoying being in a room with you this morning in Shrewsbury. But this isn't it. This isn't where our hope lies. This isn't our future destiny. Our hope is stored up in heaven. And because of that, faith and love can spring up in our hearts today. And we can worship and we can praise and we can love and care for one another even though for some or indeed many of us, the circumstances are tough. Paul goes on to say then, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing amongst you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. So here Paul changes direction again. I told you it's scattergun. He's raising so many points that he's going to come back to. The good news of Jesus, this gospel, good news, that's what it means, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And that includes you in your relatively insignificant market town on the edge of things. We see here that Paul has got real faith that there's power in like the seed of the gospel. That, that where the true gospel is preached and expressed, there will be fruitfulness. And Paul really believed that when he went to an urban center like Ephesus and he preached, that the seed would go out into neighboring towns and villages and there'd be like a snowball effect. And this was quite interesting uh, for me to reflect on this last week because obviously, as I told you, I visited the church in Admaston on Sunday morning and had a great time with them. Since 1983, the gospel has gone forth, if you like, through Barnabas Community Church here in Shrewsbury. And then about 15 years ago, we started Hope Church up in North Shrewsbury, and about 25 of our members went with some of our experience, some of our DNA, but mostly with the good news of Jesus to that area and established a new work. And people were saved and added to that church. And then what happened was that a small group from Telford started visiting Hope Church in North Shrewsbury, picking up what they were doing, getting excited by what they were doing. And then that group eventually was planted out into Admaston as Hope Community Church. So the church in Admaston, in one sense, has got hardly any link to Barnabas. They didn't come here. We didn't send them. But when I'm welcomed there on Sunday morning, I I go to a gathering, over 50 people there now, incredible stuff, all ages and stages, uh, spirit-filled worship, Bible preaching, community outreach, they're running Alpha courses, people are coming to faith in Jesus in Admaston. And it's like the seed that we planted in North Shrewsbury, because it contained the true message of Jesus, has borne fruit and planted something new in Admaston. 
And if you add in Beacon Church, in Whit Church, which we also sent out a team to plant about 10 years ago, this Sunday in Shropshire, there's going to be at least 200 people meeting in different congregations all over the county, many of whom have come to faith through the witness of those churches because the seed of the gospel bears fruit. And so for me, and hopefully to you, one of the big take-homes from today is that if we continue to dig in, the ripples spread out. Other places are always affected because the good news bears fruit. I wonder what other places in our local area have fruitfulness to come because of the ripples that come out from here and even from people sitting in this room today. Paul says, the day you heard the good news and truly understood the God's grace. That's going to be so important to them later when they're thinking about these people who want to add loads of ceremony and extra bits and self-denial to what the Christian experience is. People who think you have to have some extra special knowledge. Paul's saying, when you first believed, you truly knew the grace of God. You knew that it was God who did everything that you needed to come to faith because he loves you. So we're all here on the same ticket. We're all here because Jesus expressed God's love to us and through his death and resurrection made us away. Truly understanding God's grace means that whenever people come in and try and add extra bits or add wonky bits, we can always, we know that there's a problem when we know that it's adding something to the fact that God has done everything that we ever need. The moment people are trying to hang other things on it as well, yes, it's okay that God did his thing, but we actually need to do these extra bits as well. As soon as that happens, a flag is raised, a warning flag is raised, because it is only through the work of Jesus. I'm rattling on through here. Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. They've not stopped praying for them. And that's an interesting verse to read at the end of a week of prayer that we've had here in the life of our church. And we've had some really brilliant prayer times and it's really great to have uh, initiatives and, 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 and prayer gatherings and stuff like that. But we've not stopped praying for you. They don't stop praying. But the focus of their prayers, I think, at this stage is really interesting. They're praying that they might know God's will and receive wisdom and understanding. Just pause for a moment. We have an opportunity to ask God himself for his wisdom and understanding. That is astonishing. We, we're allowed to ask to know the will of God. It's incredible. You can just read a verse like that and rattle on through, but let's just pause on that a minute. We can actually ask God what his will is, and then when there's some sort of revelation in that, then we can ask him to fulfill it. We know what to ask him for in prayer. 
And just looking at this from another direction, I think sometimes in churches where there's a, a, a real emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit, sometimes there can be a danger that things go a little bit over the top and it just becomes about the experience and it's like the Bible takes a back seat because the experience becomes the most important thing. But Paul seems to be implying here that if the Spirit is truly at work in the church, the outcome is wisdom and understanding. The fruit will be lives lived worthy of the Lord. The Bible is never sidelined when the Spirit is at work. It's interesting as well that he's not praying that they're going to do more or try harder. He's praying that they'll be filled with the knowledge of his will through the Spirit. And it's almost like fruitfulness in his eyes comes from what God's doing inside us, not from what we're striving to do on the outside. He's praying that they'd grow in their revelation of God on the inside. And that's what's going to make them fruitful on the outside. There's a whole talk crying out to come just from that one verse. But we're going to move on. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Wow, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might in order, in order that what? In order that we might go and achieve great things for God, in order to see amazing miracles, in order to live a successful and prosperous life, in order to be all you were meant to be. Stuff like that is a popular uh, title for a preacher. It's a popular title for a book Because we all want to hear about God granting us success and breakthrough. And that's not wrong, but Paul's got a surprise here. They need strength and power from God himself, from his might, so that they'll have endurance and patience. Somehow that doesn't sound quite as exciting And yet Paul is writing to people who are holding on to the truth of the gospel against false teaching. And he's writing to a people knowing, I mean Paul himself is in prison, they're knowing that the sort of uh, the Romans' view of Christianity and how they're responding to the Christians, they know that things are tightening and things are becoming more difficult. It's about this time that he writes to the Ephesian church about the full armor of God and he tells them to take their stand against the devil's schemes. Whereas here he's saying pray for endurance and patience, which sounds incredibly similar. If we fast forward to Revelation 12 and verse 14, we hear this expression again. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Patience and endurance are absolutely part of the unstoppable fruitfulness of the good news of Jesus. This amazing message of salvation spread over the whole known world in not a very long time Because even though the persecution at the hands of the Romans would grow and grow, the believers, those who held on to that message, had patient endurance. 
The Christian faith has never died out because the good news gives birth to patient endurance. And one of the greatest witnesses in a confused and hurting world is the patient endurance a believer can show in times of difficulty. Patient endurance is not settling for second best. Yes, we want to ask God for miracles and breakthrough. But patient endurance, no matter what the circumstances are, is a supernatural miracle of its own standing. Because we need to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might to have it. It's a supernatural gift of God that we must honor alongside all the other parts of being a believer. And then the final verses from 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh my goodness, Paul. This is like theology bingo. We've got five minutes left in my talk and he's rattling off complex, incredible, life-changing truth. We share in an inheritance of a heavenly kingdom. We've been rescued from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. We've received redemption. That's like being a slave and then someone pays the price for you to be made free. That's what redemption means. Our sins have been completely and totally forgiven. Remember, this is just his greeting. This is his introduction. This is his small talk. Would you like to have Paul around for dinner? Yeah, (laughs) so would I actually, it'd be quite fun. It's certainly a sign that when opposition increases, when confusion increases, when the difficulties get big, so our understanding of God needs to get bigger. And it also shows that it was a really good idea to book several weeks to go through the book of Colossians. Because I'm not going to even try to explain all of that now, because over the coming weeks, that's exactly what we're going to do. Hopefully you've seen the trailer, and now you want to wait for the actual full thing to come. But even in his introduction, even in his opening words, Paul is talking about prayer. He's talking about hope. He's talking about love. He's talking about bearing fruit. He's talking about the role of the Spirit. And he's showing that words matter and that truth matters. And that's the reason I'm incredibly excited that we have this opportunity to work through this wonderful book and to hear God's voice week on week over the next couple of months. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Dave. So we're underway. He's kicked us off.